If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we are slowly easing our way to the end of Revelation. It's amazing to see how far we have gone, starting in Revelation 1 back uh, January of 2022, and, uh, and progressively made our way up to this point, and we're here in Revelation 20. Now, one of the more talked about moments of Revelation is the millennium, the thousand-year reign. Now, most of the conversation is directed to when the millennial actually occurs in the timeline of the end times narrative. When does the millennium actually happen? When does it occur specifically in correlation to the second coming of Jesus? Now, the majority of people will say that they are pre-millennialist, which just simply means they believe that Christ is going to come back and then there's going to be this thousand-year reign. Now, there are those who are post-millennialists that would say that the second coming is after. It just happens to be before in the Scripture, but it'll be after. And and, and again, these thoughts are way deeper than what I'm making them to be, but um, I just want to give you an idea of where people are in their thought process. But then there are those that are amillennialists, just a letter A, and then millennialists, which simply they believe that a lot like Revelation, where it's a lot of imagery, a lot of words, that necessarily it's not such that it's a literal thousand years, but that this time period that's being made mention in Revelation 20 is simply the time period between the first coming and the second coming. At the end of the day, that's not what I'm about to teach you today. But I want you to know these things because we get kind of caught up in these things, these time frames, these timelines, and we completely miss what's really going on in the text. I've told y'all this several times when looking at these scriptures. At the end of the day, the most important thing is not where does this all fit in the timeline. The most important thing is this. What can I know about God? What can I know about mankind? And what can I know about Satan and everybody that is in the scriptures? What can I know that I can grow in my faith here in 2023? So the question I'm going to ask today is not simply anything about the timeline, but it's simply this. What does the millennium reveal? That's the question we're going to ask today. What does the millennium reveal? And I believe that through the three characters that you're going to find in Revelation 21 through 10, you're going to find what the millennium is going to reveal to us today. Whether it's an individual or it's a group of people, there's a lot for us to digest this morning. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 1. John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit. And shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority the judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads 
or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. Verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the board, uh, sorry, over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you praising you for your word. God, we thank you for your word and the vision that you gave John to show us what the end times would look like. And so, God, there are, there's a lot about this that we may not understand. And, God, I know the temptation is to, to want to piece together the timeline from beginning to end. But, God, your will is for us to see what you wanted us to see. And so, God, I pray that that is our prayer. God, I pray that, that you would show us mercy in your word today to help us to see what it is that we need to see and know today. What is, your, what is the truth of your word that needs to speak to our hearts, God? So I pray for conviction. I pray for correction. I pray for encouragement. God, I pray that we find comfort in your word today. God, in all things, may it be for your honor and your glory. And it's in your son's holy name that I pray. Amen. So there are, three, uh, there are three groups of people, individuals or groups, uh, that I want us to look at and to help us understand the millennium and what it reveals to us today. So the first thing I want to do is look at Satan. Satan's the first thing that comes up in the Scriptures, and it's the last thing that's talked about in, the script, in, in this particular text this morning. So look back with me, verse 1 through 3 again. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Skip down to verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. And ever. So in this particular vision that you see from John given to him from Jesus is that he sees an angel coming down from heaven. And this angel has a particular key. This key is for the pit in, in a great chain, as it says. And his job, this angel, is to seize Satan and lock him up for a thousand years. Satan will be imprisoned in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, in this section, we, rem we are reminded of who Satan really is. We've seen this before in Revelation, but I want to review it again. He's, he's given four names. Dragon, ancient serpent, devil, and Satan. Now, dragon simply represents that he is powerful. Not all powerful, just powerful. He's cruel, he's dangerous, and he's vicious. The ancient serpent, if you remember, goes back to Genesis chapter 3 with the fall when he was the serpent who, who convinced Adam and Eve to take of the fruit. 
He ushered in the fall. He didn't, he, he just helped it come along. Now it was Adam and Eve's actions that brought the fall, but the serpent is the one who was cunning. And then we see he's the devil, a slanderer, accuser. And he's also Satan. He's an adversary. He's an enemy. He's an opponent. Satan is not on your side if you are a believer. And he's not actually on your side if you're just a human being in general because he wants you to fall with him. Satan is a great being that was once an angel of God but failed due to his own pride and selfishness. And he brought down other fallen angels to be his demons so they, as a group, can cause disruption and chaos among the world. Now, Satan is a leader in this evil world. But what we see is that he is not the ultimate authority. We have to make sure we understand that about Satan. He is not the ultimate authority. The angel that John saw had a key to the pit, which meant that the angel was given authority by God over Satan. Even this angel was over Satan in this moment, for he had the key to bound up Satan. He used that authority to do so. He was faithful to God, the angel was. And now Satan is bound. He cannot stop this angel from doing it. He is not all-powerful. We understand as believers that God is the Almighty, not Satan. So Satan cannot stop what God wills. We understand that as believers that, that what Satan is trying to do, he cannot do it unless God wills it. It is God's will that will happen all times. And it is God's will that during this millennium that Satan will not be able to deceive, accuse, or tempt the people on earth. Which sounds really great. It sounds perfect, right? That's what we want. We, we don't want Satan on our backs. We don't want Satan constantly tempting us. But I'm going to show you later why I think we give Satan too much credit for that. I'll show you why in a little while. But yes, Satan is bound up. It shows that he is not the Almighty. We know God truly is the Almighty. He is not an authority equal to God. And we see this how eventually in verse 10, how Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, that being hell. Now I've said this before and I want to say it again, that Satan is not the overseer of hell. We, we've gotten this kind of messed up because we've allowed Greek mythology to kind of dictate how we view Satan. Greek mythology has a god of the underworld named Hades. Greek mythology would say that this Hades is the overseer of the underworld. And for some reason, we as believers have, have basically just copied and pasted that concept onto Satan, but that's not biblical. Satan is not the overseer of hell. He is not the gatekeeper to hell. Satan, along with the Antichrist and the false prophet, the unholy trinity, they will be residents of hell. Hell was made for this unholy trinity. Matthew 25, verse 41. In the final judgment, Jesus is speaking and he says, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Hell was meant for devil and his angels. But we also know that those who take the mark of the beast, those of the previous generations who refuse to believe in Jesus and rest in the salvation that he provides, they too will find themselves in this place of eternal fire, the place, the lake of fire and sulfur. But praise be to God that there is so much glory for the one who believes and receives life from God. 
And we see that in the resurrected believers in our text today. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Then I saw thrones seated on them were those, were those to whom the authority of the judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the, testimony, for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So we see John's vision shift from the pit to glory. From the pit to glory, right? He saw the thrones of those who had the authority to judge. Now we believe those thrones belong to the disciples or apostles. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the world, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So when we see, when John is seeing those who are on the throne who have authority to judge, he is seeing the disciples slash apostles. But he also sees the martyrs of the faith up there in glory. He sees those who gave up their lives, the martyrs, in all of time, including the tribulation. For their, they died for their faith. They died for the spread of the gospel. They will be in glory. And along with the martyrs, all of the saints of the past will get to experience a bodily resurrection. They will be glorified in their new bodies, which is a, an incredible time for the believers who have passed. They will be given a new glorified body to reign with Christ for a thousand years. In verse 6 it says that they are blessed and holy. Those who share in the first resurrection. And the resurrected believer is blessed and holy for they are heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Paul was talking about this day in the millennium when the believer who has passed, who, who was not in the moment still alive in the midst of the tribulation, they will be glorified in their new bodies and they will reign as heirs with Christ. And that's a day we get to look forward to. You know, that's a day that if, if the Lord calls us home before the end of it all, we will get to have that glorious day when our bodies will be glorified and we will reign with Christ forever. That's a day to look forward to, church. Those who are willing to follow Jesus and put their lives on the line and make the most of Jesus above themselves will find themselves in this moment. The second death will have no power over the believer. Second death has no power over the believer today. Because of Christ, you no longer are bound for hell. The second death is for those who are bound for hell. We will be priests of God and of Christ, which we have seen this where we will serve God because, as Peter says, we are a holy priesthood. That is who we are. 
But the first resurrection is only for those who had passed before the return of Jesus. This is important. This is kind of an area that we don't maybe not talk about as much. But during this millennium reign, there will still be believers on the earth. There will still be believers on the earth in their earthly bodies within this thousand years. And that backs that up with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, Paul writes these words. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of trumpet of the trumpet of God. That's that coming of Christ that we're talking about in Revelation 19. It says that the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have already passed before the coming will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord, therefore encouraging one another with these words. Now, I know a lot of times uh, when people talk about the rapture, this is one of the verses they go to. This is the section of Scripture they go to. And it's not for us to really get into a debate on what the rapture is or is not and what Scripture backs it up. But I believe that 1 Thessalonians says more about the millennium than it does the actual rapture. Just looking at this scripture and comparing it to what's actually being said in Revelation 20, I believe that that when the millennium comes, Christ will bring up the glorified bodies of the believers who had passed. But there will still be believers on the earth. We'll talk more about that later on. But the dead in Christ will rise first. Then after the millennium, the rest of the believers shall rise. The rest will be called up together with those who were first resurrected. Church, there's a lot of hope and glory in those scriptures today. I want you to know there's a lot of hope and glory for the believer today in those words. What we just read in 1 Thessalonians and what we're reading in Revelation 20. But there are those who will not experience the first resurrection, but they will experience the second death. And they will experience the second death because they refuse to believe in Jesus. They refuse to to trust in the hope. And only those who believe in Jesus will be able to overcome the second death. And that overcoming, that blessing of overcoming the second death will not be found in worldly things. It will not be found in your social status, your money, your assets, your possessions. Those who did not resurrect from the dead, they believed that their social status, that their money, that their assets, that their possessions were going to save them, that that was good enough. But it's not. They're still in the tomb. They're still underground. It wasn't enough, the worldly things. And they're still there waiting for the day when they will come up. But it will be for the great white throne judgment, which is the next week, which is next week's uh, sermon. But they will come up. And they think they're coming up for glory, but it's not. It is a judgment. I pray none of us see. And I pray that for those of us who believe, we can avoid such judgment because of Christ and what He did for us. Glory and eternal blessings are not found on this earth, 
but they are found in the presence of Jesus. And that is what's coming for every believer. But what about those who are still on the earth? What about those who are still going to be on the earth during the millennium? Well, let's read it. 7 through 9. Verse 7 through verse 9. And when a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. I think sometimes we may miss, if we're going through this passage a little too quickly, as we miss the fact that there are still people on the earth in the middle of the millennium. Remember, Jesus wiped out the lost from the judgment of the sickle in chapter 14, but there are still believers left on the earth, those who survived the tribulation, those who God allowed to endure to the end. Now, during the millennium, those who are still on the earth, they do not have glorified bodies. Remember, the glorified are the ones who are already passed, and then comes the rest. But the millennium has to occur before the rest go up. So therefore, there are those who are living on the earth that do not have their glorified bodies yet. And they will continue to live their lives as we are doing today. They will continue to grow. They will continue to have children. And their children will have children. And generations after generations will come in the midst of this millennium. Assuming, uh, according to the internet, there are about 25 years given to each generation. And so, doing the math, it is expected that 40 generations will exist in the middle of the millennium. 40 generations will come in the millennium. A thousand years is a very long time. I'll look back to figure out, okay, what happened in 1023? Nothing come up. Nothing of significance. That was a long time ago, 1023. Right? And we're in 2023. But without Satan to deceive and tempt the people, one would assume that each generation would believe in Jesus and live the perfect life that we all wish we could now. But sadly, I believe that's far from the truth. I I believe through Scripture that even though Satan will not be there in that thousand years to tempt, to accuse, to deceive the people, that people will still fall away from God. Why? Why is that going to happen? I thought this was going to be like this utopia where it's going to be perfect without Satan. Everything's just going to be perfect, right? No. And the reason I believe that is because there will still be many who will give in to their sinful nature without the help of Satan. See, when the thousand years are up and Satan is released, he will deceive those into following him into one final battle. But I believe this. If you are a believer and you lived your life as a believer under the reign of Christ for a thousand years, you wouldn't believe in Satan. If you believe in the preservation of the saints, then you believe that that if you're a believer, you are truly going to follow after God and you're not going to be deceived by Satan and follow him and be on that side of this final war. So if that's the case, then there has to be people generation after generation that are going to fall away from God who are going to not listen to their families and listen to the stories of the Armageddon that has already happened. They're going to fall away from what their parents have taught them and they're going to choose to live their own life and do what they want. And when Satan comes out of his thousand year uh, jail sentence, he's going to collect them all up and he's going to have one last ditch effort. To destroy the believer. 
Think about this. People still sin even without Satan. I think we give Satan a little too much credit, don't we? I think too many times when things are going wrong and we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, I think we give Satan a little too much credit. Listen, you are a sinner. And it's not because of Satan. You are a sinner because you have a natural ability to sin. And even without Satan, you could still fall into sin. You can say, I overcame Satan and his evil deceptions. I, I, I say, be gone, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. Not today, Satan. Like those kind of sayings. I do that all the time, right? Okay, but what about the deception that lives in your heart? Even the heart is deceitful, is it not? You know what Scripture says? You need to recognize today that you have a sin problem. We all have a sin problem. Romans chapter 3 verses 9 through 10. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. We are all sinners. And we are not righteous on our own. We need help. We need a Savior. Because without a Savior, we are bound for hell along with Satan. And so Jesus steps in. He takes on your sin. Dies on the cross because of your sin. And he resurrects from the dead to overcome the payment of sin. That being death. And he did all of that for you. But you have to recognize that you have a sin problem. I had to recognize that I had a sin problem in order for me to be saved. And the same goes for you. Let what is shown in the scriptures today show you that it is not because of Satan that you sin. People are falling into sin and refusing to worship Jesus even without the influence of Satan. So when the time comes, Satan will gather up all of those who fail to worship Jesus for this last ditch effort. But we see it is all for not. Verse 9, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Life does not end well for the lost person. Life does not end well for the one who says they are good without Jesus. Listen, you are not good enough without Jesus. Satan did not put you in that position. You did that through your own sin nature. But praise God, there is a way out today. Praise God that He provided a way for you to get out of this. By paying the price, Jesus took on that sin and overcame it through His resurrection. So now you have a path off of hell. Now you have an opportunity to get on the path that leads to heaven, that leads to glory. And all that he's asking you to do to get on that path is to believe in the resurrection and make Jesus Lord of your life. That's all he's asking. Call out to Jesus and you will be saved from the path that leads to hell. Call out to Jesus and you'll be given new life that leads to, the right, to righteousness. Listen, without Jesus... We're just on a one-way ticket to hell. Without Jesus, we're on our path straight to hell. And with Jesus, we are given new life. Listen, don't sit in your pew and think that you're okay. Don't sit in the pew and think that I'm good, pastor. 
I'm good. I've got it figured out. God loves me. He wouldn't send me to hell. I mean, sure, I'm not a perfect person, but who is? Am I right? God will understand. No, what God will understand is that you refuse to follow His Word. What God will understand is that you chose a separate path than that of Jesus when He said He was the only way. God will understand that you thought you were good. And God will understand that all that follow that pathway, they go to hell. Satan's defeat, Satan being casted into hell in verse 10, should be a warning to us today. It should be a warning that hell is real and those who rebel and refuse to follow God will find themselves on that path. But I want to show you grace because that doesn't have to be you today. This does not have to be your path. This does not have to be your final destination. There is still hope for you today because you are sitting in this room hearing me talk today and it ain't got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with the Holy Spirit working right now in this room. There is hope for you today and all God asks is that you answer the call from Him. All that God asks of you is to answer the call of salvation today and give your life to Him and you can trust that God is going to give you a new life. A life that leads to heaven, eternal glory in the presence of God forever. You can only overcome your sin through the blood of Jesus. Jesus is calling. He's calling out today. Will you believe it? Will you fall under His Lordship? Will you respond to that today? You can respond by simply coming forward and seeking salvation, saying, Pastor, I see I'm a sinner and it's my fault. I'm the one who failed. I've been blaming Satan a long time, Pastor, but it's me that needs salvation. You can come forward and receive it today. But maybe you're already a Christian. Maybe you're in here saying, Well, Pastor, I'm already a Christian. I believe. What sin is still creeping in your life today? What sin is still wanting to creep itself back into your life? Whatever that is, I'm going to ask you to come forward and and use this altar as a time of repentance. To repent and seek forgiveness for that sin in your life. Listen, sin is real. Sin is very real. And it is very dangerous. And we have to attack it. Because it is ever before us. And as we see, we don't need Satan's help to sin. We just need ourselves. We will only overcome sin through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Will you give your life to Jesus today if you are lost? And if you are saved, will you repent today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this millennium reign. God, we thank you for Revelation 20 and what it reveals to us about that time period. And God, if if you call us home before the second coming, we look forward to that day when our bodies will be glorified and we will reign with you as priests. But God, we also trust that through it all, you will watch over us. God, you will care for us. 
But God, I pray for the believers that will be in the tribulation, those who, are, uh, th- those who will be there in the end. I pray that they continue to trust in you, that they would look to you and, and, and trust and, and, and seek uh, the shadow under your wings. God, they would seek to hide under the rock of protection. And God, I just pray for us today that we see that, that sin is a very big deal. God, we know Satan is an enemy. We know he is an adversary. He's an opponent. He's vicious. He's cunning. We don't need to underestimate his power, but at the same time, God, he is not the Almighty. You are the Almighty. And God, you have saved us through the blood of Christ. God, you sent your son to to die on a cross and to resurrect from the dead to defeat that payment. So God, I praise you today that that is real in my life and I praise you that it is real in many of the lives in this room. But God, today, if there is anyone here who does not know you, who has not put their faith and trust in you, God, I pray today would be the day of salvation. That God, today they would see the sin in their lives and they would come to a saving knowledge of you. God, we praise you that you are still pouring out your grace on us today. So God, be with us now. God, help us to hear from you. Help us to respond, to repent. God, to to seek salvation if it be your will. God, we love you. We praise you. And it is in your Son's holy and righteous name that I pray. Amen.